Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Quorum Podcast. This is where academic medicine meets remote, austere, and resource-limited areas. So, hello, everybody. It's Tim Cranston again from the College of Remote and Offshore Medicine. And on today's podcast, our guest is Jen. Hello. White. Um, Jen is currently the medical officer or a medical officer on board a sail training vessel. So if we want to talk about remote healthcare, um, for me, this is really interesting. For someone that works offshore, so I've spent a lot of my time at sea on, on vessels, I'm more into you know the oil and gas side of things. But uh, I think Jen offers a, a very unique perspective when it comes to actually being offshore and in a remote location. So, as I said, a sail training vessel, uh, as far as I understand, the vessel's called the Picton Castle. Yeah. When we say sail training vessel, Jen, what are we talking about? What, what does this thing look like? Well, she is a 179-foot uh, bark, so fully rigged uh, tall ship. Bark, bark rigged, sorry. So what does that what does that mean? Bark? You, you have uh, dogs on board? Going, yeah, well sometimes no. No, we don't. Sadly we have cats on board, but no uh-huh. dogs. Yeah, it's a long time off offshore with no dogs. Sad story. Um it's got three masts and um I cannot remember how tall the masts are. She's long way up. How about that? We've got <laughs> a lot, lot of sails. From the picture you show me, there's a lot of sails. There's a lot of sails. There's a lot of canvas, uh, something like 10,000 square feet of canvas. Now, I imagine a kind of a, a, an ex kind of Royal Navy, the, the uh, kind of ship, a, a pirate ship. Oh, everyone um, always says pirate ships. We're much nicer than pirates. Okay. Yeah, okay. Much nicer. So we're talking no no engine, no motor. Yeah, she has an engine. Yeah, but okay. um, it's it's tedious. It smells bad, and uh, we don't like it. Sailors sailors aren't into engines. Really. They're not into engines. No, but I mean, she's a sail training vessel because uh, people pay to come on board and learn how to sail. So it's a bit of a 50-50. Did you come on board to learn how to sail, or did you come on board to travel in this crazy way? So most people, it's a mix of the two. Because I imagine this is a, a huge step back in time. In some ways, yeah. In, in terms of sailing. Yeah, sure. I take it so when, you're, when, when you've got a lull, um, and you've got no wind, and then that's when the engine steps in. Oh, not even. No. No, um, we might have the engine on in the case of I had to get somebody to a medivac. Oh. So that was a good example. We actually motored for several days at that point. Um, but for the most part, we try not to. We're not in any rush. This is no, this is no race. This is a slow adventure. So before we kind of go into, into depth into kind of what you do and kind of who you are, tell me a little bit more about your background. Where have you come from? to get you to a point where you've ended up on a sail training vessel called the Picton Castle. Okay. I taught sailing on small, tall ships um, when I was a youth. So they were, I think, 80 feet long. So you, you already have sailing in I your am blood. a sailor. However, okay. not everybody on board and not every medical officer has been a sailor. Um, some of them just come on for the interesting medical potential. Um, But for me, that was my background. I stopped sailing for a length of time. I had children. I did lots of education and I had this opportunity and that's how I, that's how I got there. 
But obviously you're a medical officer, so yeah. are you a doctor? Or no, I'm not a physician. There's been physicians on board, there's been nurses on board, there have been paramedics. Um, we've got sort of a, a wide range of people. I was a midwife originally, and someone always says, oh, there's no babies on board, but... People underestimate midwives and the, the wide variety of skills they've got. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I became an osteopath. So as far as I know, there's about six or seven osteopathic midwives in the world. So it's a bit of a weird niche market. Um, and I'm also a wilderness responder and I teach advanced and wilderness first aid. So your interest, uh, I guess, in medicine then started when you were a midwife yes but your interest in remote medicine maybe started when you were a, a wilderness responder or well I mostly had a home birth practice okay so I did have backup but I was always working in a different place my stuff was never in the same place twice I've never talked to a home birth midwife who wasn't really good at adapting um, I took my practice into international care, so I, I worked in Haiti, I worked in Guatemala, um, so I've done austere medicine as well um, with my background as a midwife, and that's probably really how I got to being a wilderness responder as well. So obviously when you were doing your midwifery, are we talking mainly looking after rural communities? Um, no, no, it was across the board really. Um, I did not have hospital privileges at that time, so it was mostly home birth practice. Um, and, uh, yeah, but it was all over. It was rural communities, and it was all the way to what we call the city in my province. So are you still doing that now? No, I'm not. So you're purely just doing your, your I was going to say offshore work, uh, uh, your, your sailing work? Nope. Osteo pays the bills. Osteopathy pays the bills. Gotcha. Um, and... Osteopathy. Also, my patients are lovely enough to be really willing to forgive me when I leave for months at a time to go do other things like sailing. So, I'm going to say, do you get many people with bad backs on board the uh, oh, on yeah. board the Picton Castle? In fact, I would have to say that is one of the things that I do really well on board is preventative of other problems. Today, just so you guys know, Jen is actually a student currently on the college's remote EMT course. And uh, obviously we've been chatting. We all chat in the classroom and, and the idea being is we get an idea of everybody's background so that we can orient our training and everything to, you know, to suit people's experiences and, and people's needs as well. So it's really interesting when we come across people like Jen and, and, and it's really interesting for me because one, I kind of want to know what your motivations are for coming maybe on a remote EMT course. But at the same time, it's interesting to hear someone else's perspective when it comes to remote healthcare. So again, for myself, working you know, offshore on, on ships and on mm. vessels, like I said, a, a sail training vessel is something very different in terms of what, what I'm used to. So in terms of your client base, mm-hmm. obviously you've said that you, you, know, you fix backs. I did. What, back. what might we typically see um, in terms of, of your client base on board a, on board a sailing ship? Do you get a lot of sick people? Is there a lot of trauma? What, what are you dealing with on a daily basis? Again, I really feel like prevention is, is our, our best defense, as it is everywhere, of course. 
Um, we do have people's medical backgrounds uh, before they come on board. For example, I had somebody very recently in my crew roster who she's on anticoagulants. And I said, I'm really sorry, I can't sign off on this. But my doctor signed off on it. Well, your doctor's never been on a tall ship. I guarantee it. You know, this is, it's not reasonable to be on. And in fact, if I looked at Canadian law and sailing and, um, yeah, no anticoagulants are a no go. So I had to sort of think about that in terms of, and people are super disappointed. Like, I don't want to have to say that to anybody because only really adventurous people show up. And I'd rather not say you can't go on this adventure, but I'm afraid you know, when we have a 35 day passage and it might be 10 days till I can get you anywhere, I have to think in advance. And it's a, it's a pretty rough environment. It's the chances of tripping, falling at night when you've got no lights, the chances of slamming into something like those kinds of injuries are not uncommon. Like luckily we don't have huge traumas often, but Things happen. Does the vessel move around a bit? How stable is it? Uh, I was hoping to show you that video, actually, because <laughs> okay. it is kind of fun. Depends on where we are. I mean, we sailed around the Cape of Good Hope wow. uh, while I was on board, and there was some movement. Um, for that particular passage, we put up something we call sailor strainers to keep sailors from being strained <laughs> overboard. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. No, the, the boat moves around a lot at that point, and... Uh, yeah, you have to. So, does, does, so does that then mean a lot of people get seasick? Seasick is an interesting <laughs> thing. It actually was quite fascinating to me. There are people who have signed on to sail around the world, and every time the ship stops for a week or more, they get sick again. And they still keep going. And some of them look like death warmed over. We were talking about scopolamine. And honestly, by the time I was on board the last trip, they'd gone enough distance that people were like, nope, just leave me alone. I'm going to put my head in the scuppers and barf for a few days. And and then my whole job is to just make sure they're not dehydrated. Right, right. I just walk around in circles and make sure. I, I remember okay. being told once that um, if anybody ever tells you they never get seasick, they're lying. I've never been seasick. Every, every, everybody gets seasick at some point in their life. It's, it's never It's going to happen at some point. Yeah, I, I have heard that You've too. It's never hit me. I have sailed in some wicked weather and I'm grateful because it looks really bad. Right, right. <laughs> and for some people, it's a solid four or five days and then they come back. And honestly, the ship still has to keep running. So, you know, they, they don't have to be full duties, but they they do have to participate so, in life. So if somebody is sick or somebody's ill, um, I mean, you said you sailed around the Cape of Good Hope. So, yeah. I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere. How are you, what do you do in terms of somebody getting sick? What do you do with them? They, do they go in their cabin? Have you got a hospital? What what facilities have you got on board to, to look uh, after yeah, somebody? We got a whole lot of nothing. Oh. I have a pile of equipment. I have everything I could have imagined, like really more, really beyond my scope of practice, some of it. But I, I don't have a sick bay unless I'm desperately in need. There is no hospital on board? There is none. Nope. I have wow. people's bunks. If somebody, if I need to isolate somebody, we can make something happen. But it's not ideal. See, I, I imagine, again, coming from an offshore background, yes. that you've got a dedicated sick bay. Most, a lot of ships do. Okay. Ours does not. Wow. So you literally, what do you do? You keep a, a bag of drugs in your cabin, or, or what, how does that I work? have seven medical chests full to the brim 
I have so much gear. That was a huge, we talked in our class in the mm. last couple of days about knowing your kit. And I sort right. of snickered to myself because it took me days more even to know where everything was. I have chests right. full of gear. I take it you can like pull a tray out of the chest yeah. and you've got layers. Yeah. Okay. And I think every medical officer's first job is to take it all out and go, oh my God, what am I going to do with all this stuff? Put it back in, in an order that you hope that you can, and eventually you get pretty good at where it all is. So you've got kit that you would deal with with trauma. Yeah. But I imagine you deal with, if it's, if it's anything like myself, more illness. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we've a met, lot of we've skin mentioned... stuff. Okay. A lot of skin stuff. And yep. prevention from that is like, you know, some medical officers have different philosophies, but part of my job is to be like, you are a pig, go clean. Mm. Sailors, they resist cleanliness. It's amazing. We, we know that hygiene is obviously extremely important. Yeah. Especially when you're in a closed environment. In a tropical closed environment. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. So... COVID. Did well, you have did you no, have issues with that? We didn't. Our ship didn't sail, in okay. fact. A lot of countries that we would have gone to were very closed down to anyone coming through. And also I would have argued it, like I think unethical hmm. really to potentially come to these teeny tiny little places with a I mean it would have been a ship fault. We would have totally overtaken some of these little countries, literally. So we, I had an interesting experience. Um, We sailed into the island of Rodrigue in Mauritius, which is in the Indian Ocean. And um, the Minister of Health needed to come meet me, which the captain was like, could you please clean up something somewhat? (laughs) I look like a disgusting sailor, as I did all the time. Nobody cared what I looked like, which is why I love being on a ship. So you're not wearing whites. You're not wearing a uniform. (laughs) No. No, I will disabuse anyone of this notion okay. that there's a martini deck and flowing <laughs> dresses. No, there was okay. none of that. Um, so the Minister of Health came down and, and met with us, and it was it was really interesting. And he said, a ship over a certain size, partially I think he also wanted to see our ship, um, he needs to meet with the medical officer. He needs to make sure that there hasn't been any fevers. They had a wild outbreak of dengue a few years before that a ship had brought in. Wow. Uh huh, and it was really wow because their entire economic system relied on their honeybees, and they had to spray for dengue, and they killed their entire economics in one fell swoop. So they took ships and health very seriously. So he grilled me about the state of my crew. Wow, absolutely. It was fascinating, though. Like it was just really interesting to be. Do you know what? It's amazing how much of an impact. One group coming into a small coming into a, a community, island. yeah, spreading infectious mm-hmm. disease, and the ethics of that is oh really questionable. And literally shutting down an economy. And in the entire economy, it took them four years to get any of their bees back. It's a, it's an aspect of global healthcare. Yes. I have an interest in global healthcare, and, yeah, I, and it's an I aspect agree. of global healthcare yeah. in terms of disease and how diseases spread worldwide. Yeah. That's a great example. It, is, of, it was. It really gave me a heads up. So, and also, I mean, I think the captain of, of the ship and I are pretty pretty close, and I really respect um, his opinion, but also I really appreciate how much um, he trusts me. So we've had conversations, and, I, I like, it's not ethical to bring ourselves to a place that isn't going to be able to handle their own population if we bring them something 
and COVID was like, so our ship hasn't moved in three years, which has been So when was the last time you sailed? I, was that four, four, three and a half years ago? Wow. I got home just, yeah, just before COVID. And is this then because of the, the, the constraints that are still in COVID? place now? Well, yeah, I mean, there's been Polynesia, like their time and our time in Polynesia is one of the highlights of our sailing around the world. Uh, it's a pretty amazing place to be on a tall ship, places like Pitcairn Island and yeah. So, okay, so you, you, you just said Pitcairn, so I'm going to go back to the Picton Castle. Okay. Where does that name come from? It I comes from to, Picton Castle, ask. Wales, where she was a fishing vessel at one point. Um, and then she was purchased by Norway, and in um, World War II, she was a Norwegian minesweeper named the Spirit of a Norway. A tall ship was a minesweeper? Well, yeah, she was a minesweeper then. She wasn't a tall ship at the time. Oh. Yeah. So um, 30 years ago, I think now, the uh, Captain Dan Moreland, who's one of the few sailors in the world with an unlimited tonnage captain's license... Um, decided that he was going to start an organization to have a sail training vessel that goes around so the world. So does she have a wooden hull? Or she... She's a steel hull. She's a steel hull. Yeah, okay. She no, was actually hit a mine in, uh, mm. in, in World War II, so she, they say she's got a little funny curve of her keel. <laughs> she steers to the left She's a little bit right. tricky to Sorry, be on the helm. Yeah, exactly. And um, he decided that he, was, he needed to start a new company. He was going to Look around the world for a tall ship. Didn't find any that he likes, so he uh, he went and grabbed this mine sweeping vessel in Norway. Sailed her back to Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, which is one of the few places in the world you can sail into port and say, "Hey, anyone want to build a tall ship?" Oh. And everyone comes out of the woodwork to say, "Heck yes, sign me up." So, so what motivates people to to want to go and sail on a tall ship? Are they mad? Yeah, partly for sure. It's not an inexpensive journey and the ship needs each crew member to work to keep the ship going. So they spent a lot of money to work their way around the world. They're all adventurers. They're all really interesting people. There's not a boring person on board. We may not all be best friends, but I have respect for every one of my shipmates because they're adventurous people yeah and you said about obviously there are people that could join your i don't know if you call it an expedition or a trip or a leg a leg okay yeah. so so these people that join a leg yeah and obviously they could have comorbidities they can have pre-existing conditions that i guess they have to report yeah and, and you mentioned about anticoagulants or, or yeah or that, what, was, what have that you. was a recent i know there are there are rules certainly offshore within the oil and gas industry exactly there are for to have certain levels of various shipping i mean it's it's all very complicated like becoming a mate of certain tonnage in mm-hmm. one part of the world versus another um so the ship is actually registered in the cook islands technically i could look at the rules in the cook islands but honestly it really comes down to me saying no so does that mean then you've got to do a risk assessment yeah for that person yeah Again, sorry, defaulting back to the offshore industry. We have to have medicals. Yeah, we have um, to have medicals too. So does that include your, the people that are sailing on your vessel? Yeah, 100%. So everybody has to have a medical. Doctors have to sign off. But again, I have to be honest, I read the medicals with a grain of salt. Mm. Most physicians have no sweet clue what life on a tall ship is like. Right. And I've tried to, we just 
redid all our paperwork. I've tried to write it in such a way that is is descriptive, but I I can't. Do your patients, sorry, do your clients or crewmates, shipmates, shipmates, do they have to declare all their medications when they come offshore? They have to sign a waiver, or yeah, oh, everybody has to sign a waiver. I mean, honestly, we really did. We have like a thirty-five day passage. We have like yes, you have to sign a waiver. You have to understand. People always ask me, what if someone has appendicitis? That's the first thought process. I mean, like how many other things can happen before appendicitis, right? right? Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, like, okay, it's a, it's a good example. What am I going to do when I have wiped down the table that we ate dinner on last night? Um, and I have actually done some minor surgery on our tables. Wow. Well, you said you didn't have a It's sickness, primitive, so. man. It's primitive stuff. Um, am I going to do an appendectomy? Sure, I can try, but like... Do you have the facility to be able to call for help yourself? In other words... So I do have a a telemedicine. Okay. And one time I have phoned that telemedicine service and Captain kind of rolled his eyes at me and said, they're going to tell you to evacuate. And it was a full 10 days. Really what I needed advice on, was there anything else that I have not thought of about a torn retina? that you can tell me about. And they were like, you really need to evacuate. (laughs) For me, I have the luxury of, I I guess, calling the Coast Guard. Yeah. um, And usually within a few hours. Oh, yeah. um, Which which we consider to be a long time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You're in a a completely different place in that you don't have the luxury of, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got to wait a few hours for a Coast Guard. Yeah, no. What did you just say? Ten days a week? Oh, it could be ten days. Easy. Yeah. Easy. And is that for you to be able to get close enough to shore for yep. a Coast Guard or yep. would you have to go to Most north? helicopter, Medivac, um, that is insurance company related for offshore. You probably already know this. Mm. Um, it's 147 nautical miles that most of them will have. Like that right. could take us a week to get there at least. Wow. So, and then where are they going to go? I'm off some tiny island in Polynesia. They've got to take you someplace. So, so you need strict rules in terms of fitness then for your for your clients. Yeah, there's definitely a certain fitness level. Mm. We could be stricter, to be honest. Mm. On the other hand, these are an adventurous group of people and they understand. But it is a business at the end of the day. It's a business. I don't feel, I feel pretty comfortable. I'm not fighting the financial problems. Mm. Like I've never had the ship's company say to me, no, we won't buy that kit or no, we're going to make that decision. Some of my medical decisions have cost the ship thousands and thousands of dollars and they do not argue. They don't ask me to even justify. They don't blink an eye. I have literally said we need to change course. And the captain said, come look at the charts with me. Let's see where we need to go. Have you ever then had an occasion where you couldn't get rid of a patient? I mean, God forbid, you know, somebody passed away on board. Oh yeah. That's, that's always somewhere in the back of my mind. Right. Yeah. Thankfully, you've not. That I've never had to deal with that. We've never had to deal with that. There's been a a few incidents where we need to change direction and find another place. Um, There was one incident uh, quite a number of years ago, maybe 20 years ago now, where this uh, big, heavy hunk of a man was hauling on a line and the line snapped. So his entire body weight slammed spine first into a pin rail. And he instantly lost use of his legs. Wow. Yeah, that's a big deal, right? Um, down to he's got to be catheterized. Couldn't get him down below, so they had to make him a nice 
home on deck kind of thing. Every Someone was with him every moment of 24 hours, did prolonged field care mm-hmm. and proper nursing care. They looked after him super well. I'm sure that poor medical officer was having heart palpitations every five minutes thinking about the implications. They got him, I think it took them, it took them a good solid week and some odd to get him to a place where they could medivac. It was inflammation. He'd hit hard. He inflamed fast. He was walking. He was actually back on the ship in two months. Wow. Yeah. However. I was going to say he's a lucky guy, but he wasn't lucky with the rope breaking, snapping. And yeah. That, that's, there's nothing lucky no, about that. No, it was, I'm sure, a really terrible time, but it was a really good, I teach spinals differently. Well, you're, yeah, you're the right person. Yeah. So do you have backup? Do you have anyone to help you? So the, the last adventure I was on, I had a vet. Veterinarian, do not underestimate veterinarians. Man, you want to know about drugs? They can tell you five different species and just that was super and That was useful. a crew member? Yeah, that was a crew member who did not want to be the medical officer. <laughs> Didn't like humans at all as far as I know. That's kind um, of a fair comment. Right, exactly. <laughs> and But was a really great backup. So, you know, I had a minor surgery at one point and she was super with that. Really helpful. And we had someone on board who was uh, a designation in the United States called a, an anesthet- a nurse anesthetist, mm-hmm. which is not a thing in Canada. So right. I, I didn't even really know what it was. But same thing. If mm-hmm. we ever had an airway problem, he'd have been on right. that like nothing. So I did have backup. And this group that is about to leave, uh, I think there's a combat medic, um, the person who's taking my spot. Mm -hmm. So I will remain the chief medical officer and this person will be the medical officer Mm -hmm. on board. And she's a nurse midwife, which is hilarious. And when I go to join, uh, we will be the only tall ship, I'm sure in the history of tall ships, to have two midwives on board as medical officers. I don't think you're going to get many pregnant clients though. Well, stranger things have happened. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I... I yes. So that being said, I mean, obviously, you know, it sounds like you're working in an amazing place. It is, uh, and you've most certainly sounds like you've had some adventures over the had years. Some adventures. What brings you to Malta? What brings me to Malta to do a remote yeah. EMT course? Okay, so we had to do that Gibbs reflective practice. Gibbs, Gibbs. I've never heard of it before. Okay. To be honest, I think it's a European thing. It's so, a- so we 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 like reflective practice because we're learning from our past experiences right and and certainly for us again as a, as a medical professional as a paramedic etc it's necessary for us to document and log continued professional development right and of course if we have a particular incident you know i'm mm-hmm. sure you've had many mm-hmm. um that we can maybe look at and go you know what did we do here what did we do well maybe what didn't we do so well if we had to do the whole thing again mm-hmm. How we could we do it better mm-hmm. next time? What might, might we change? So we find actually reflective practice is a really good tool in terms of learning. Mm-hmm. Learning not necessarily by our mistakes, but certainly by our experiences. And at the end of it, you know, we've kind of got an action plan. And, and if I come across this again, you know, how would I do? How can I deal with it? What preparations could I make? What training might I need? Mm-hmm. Um, what equipment you know might I need to buy or purchase in order to be able to you know better manage those things? Right. Well, so, I wrote about um, why am I doing this? How does this fit into the rest yeah. of my life? Because remote EMT, EMT at all, actually is not a thing in Canada. Right. Um, so 
I love my ship. I, I wouldn't willingly change, but there's all kinds of interesting adventures out there in the world. Um, most of my life right now is as an osteopath and teaching wilderness first aid. So in terms of my trauma care, my emergency care, I don't do a lot of it anymore. So for me, keeping as current and up-to-date and well-educated on that as possible for when I do go think, do things like this, I think, I think it's really important to me. I think a lot of people, when we use the word remote, Mm-hmm. They think you're in the middle of a jungle or you're in the middle of a sure, desert yeah. or somebody like Chiping that. On the ocean. And the, exactly. <laughs> in, you're in the middle it's of the, the ocean. Ultimate. And like you just said, nearly two weeks away potentially from help because yeah. you can you've got a top speed of what did we say, five or uh, ten knots? Well yeah, ten for tens tens of half And a you day. have <laughs> a sail that you need to do before you can even get anywhere near mm-hmm. a rotary wing um, aircraft can oh, get yeah. to you and winch you. That's to me, it almost uh, epitomizes remote. It, it epitomizes remote. So making sure I have everything I can mm. is like, it's a driving force for me. Right. Because I don't sign on to any of this lightly. It's not, I know that when push comes to shove, I'm in. And I think at the same time as well, you're almost taking, I mean, I kind of feel, wow, you know, I'm listening to you talk. I'm listening to you, you know, your background. I'm like, you know, why would you want to take maybe a step backwards? But you don't see, you're not seeing this oh, as a step Oh, I'm not seeing backwards. this as a step backwards at all. At all. And, and, and to not be honest, I, and, you know, I, and I really, I, I like that and I appreciate that mm. in, in that you're being honest mm. and there's always something new to learn. Yeah. And I think we've had a discussion, you know, over the last you know, few days that we've been together and there's like, actually, yeah, you know what? I like the perspective you're mm-hmm. offering, you know, on this. And I mean, a nice thing, again, for us as, as, as members of the college and for me as, as faculty is we learn just as much from our students as hopefully our students learn from us. And, you know, this is all part of adult learning and we're able to share in our experiences. Yeah. So, you know, if you can share with me, you know, some of your experiences on how you've maybe dealt with something in, in your environment, um, I, I get a learning from that yeah. and vice versa. And, it, and again, it's kind of nice, and I, and, I, and I appreciate where you're coming from, is, is I kind of do the same myself. Every now and then, um, you know, being humble, being honest, put myself back to the basics. And I think this is one of the, the things that we tend to repeat a lot. You need to get the basics right. 100%. We can't, can't say enough getting the basics right first mm-hmm. before we want to touch, I said, the Gucci gear or right. stuff like Fancy that. Fancy pants gear. Is, you know... Make, let's let's make sure we know how to do good splinting and good bandaging, yep. and actually sometimes you know going back and doing those things again are, are, will pay off. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be occasion where I'm going to have to do these things, uh, or I may need to to teach or get someone else to do it yep. for me. You've also said that you are involved in in some teaching and stuff. Is that is that teaching and training when you're uh, on on the ship with the crewmates, or is that? Do you do that when you're onshore? I have done classes for my crewmates, yeah, but mostly it's my onshore life. And I also work with search and rescue in my local community. You might wonder when I'm home. My <laughs> I, wife also wonders I, when I I'm it. home. I get it. My yeah. wife is the same. <laughs> when are you coming home? Yeah, yeah it's um, so, yeah, I do. I teach the uh, advanced wilderness and remote first aid for the Red Cross. And uh, I love it. It mm. keeps me on my toes mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it keeps me really current. 
I need to be up to date to do that class. I'm sure you feel the same way. Mm. I also learn from my students, but it's really interesting because rarely am I in a room with a bunch of people who have served in the military and dealt with blast <laughs> injuries and have dealt with huge, huge traumas like that. Mm. I have literally never been in a multi-casualty situation. Mm. So when you're giving me six to eight minutes to do my assessment, your, your assessment my triage, brain is yeah. like, He's breathing. Why do I have to go so fast? It's yeah. not how I've ever needed to work because I may have two weeks before I have someone to help yeah. me. I don't have to rush through that. So for my brain, this has definitely been an interesting challenge today, especially. So for me, if I wanted to go in, if I wanted to just transition, you know, I've had enough of offshore life in mm -hmm. terms of the oil and gas. I, mm -hmm. I fancy some adventure. How on earth? <laughs> Would you do this? How on earth? Do I become a medic on board a tall sailing ship? How did you get the job? That's a good question. How did Were you I a get stowaway? this job? No, I was not a stowaway. I'm small enough. I could have been. They'd have noticed me pretty quickly, I suspect. I think, I'm trying to remember, but I'm pretty sure one of my old sailing buddies was like, hey, you need to get your CV in there. I'm pretty sure they need somebody. So I chucked my resume at them and they were like, yes, can you come for the next year? And my answer was, no, I cannot. I do still have a life and an income here that I should respect. Right. So I tend to do chunks. That's my goal is to do three, four months at a time. So literally kind of word of mouth, knowing somebody was already I, in the That industry. was how I did this. There's yeah. other places and other ships and other, um, sometimes countries are very specific about who can be hired in the maritime industry. Mm -hmm. um, American is very particular. They have a designation called medical person in charge. Mm -hmm. um, and to have an MPIC is something, but also being an American citizen is right. the only way you'll get on a lot of those ships. Mm -hmm. But there's other places where really it's just contacting them and being right. like, I've heard about your organization and here's my CV. If you ever need a medical, is there, I mean, can I get, is there, can I literally just Google it or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can literally Work just find ships. ships. There is actually a tall ship uh, employment industry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, again, when I, when I do not, when I found out, it obviously paid well. Yeah. Okay. So that was going to stop. That was going to be the next thing I was going to kind of <laughs> Very to get to. If you were, if you want to work in one of these places, from what I understand, talking to you, there's a, there's a high reward in terms of, sure. of from the personal aspect, yeah, interacting with other other it. humans. Yeah. But the financial side, not oh, so much. It's terrible. But you know what? Here's the thing. And somebody gave me this perspective once in one of the places I worked in a remote site in Guatemala. And there was somebody there who's, she was a permanent volunteer. She'd been there for over a year. She said, I lived in her part of the world was Seattle, Washington. I worked for a big company and I made enough money to pay my rent, own a car that I used to get to my job to pay my rent and the car to get to my job to, she was always at zero. Mm. And I think there's a lot of people who live at zero. Right. So if you could sign on to be on a tall ship and remain at zero and right. get a ton of experience and do cool things and see the whole world and make the best friends you're ever going to make, you're still at zero. Have you lost anything? The mm. hard thing is when you have an income that right. you have to give up and people do to be on this ship. I know people that have sold their house and quit their job to do this. It's because, a bucket list thing. Because of the lifestyle that it affords? Yeah, because it's a bucket list. I sailed around the world on a tall ship. 
Lots. You haven't got any tattoos on your hands, though. There's no swallows. Oh yeah. no, no, there's not. No, um, I did have a plan in both directions for I this. I did have a plan for this next adventure. Um, there is a tattoo artist in Polynesia that the ship has been going to for thirty years now, I think. Mm. And um, you get to tell this person about yourself and about your life and where you want the tattoo and how big you want it, but you don't get to say what is on it. Okay. And he will tell you your story in your tattoo. I have something similar from a trip in Thailand right? from a Buddhist monk. So yeah, I, I, kind of, see? I guess we, I, 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 I was, that was on my list. Where you can always In terms of advice. Oh boy. So like I said, if somebody came to you and said, Hey Jen, you know, I've, I've listened to the Koran podcast. Um, or maybe somebody sends you an email, you know, what advice can you give me? What, what, what should I go and do? How, how can I be best prepared to do to work, to work on a, on a, on a tall ship? I think being part of other austere situations first. Okay. So, so you need experience. Yes. Right. Yes. This is not a job you could walk into cold. Let's say I was a nurse in a hospital or a paramedic and I'm, you know what, I'm looking for a life change. Could I just walk into this job or? or... Well, you probably could. Uh, You know, if we are in need of another medical officer and a paramedic shows up, I'd be excited to say, look, here's this paramedic. But if you are not comfortable outside of your own clinic with a pile of backup, ask yourself, how Mm. fun is that going to be for you? And the reality is there's not that many injuries and issues, but there's always some. Right. And there will freak. And the other thing is, if you are a person who needs very strict scope of practice standards, protocols, this is not for you. Okay. It's, you know, it's like when I worked in Haiti, it's like when I, I mean, a really austere environments. I've never not been like, Oh, if I was at home, this would so be do you, a no-go. So do you have a set of, you know, SOPs and stuff that you work to? No. Nope. You're shaking your head. Nope. <laughs> okay. Not really. Okay. No. Nope. Okay. Um, technically, you are rendering first aid. I'm, right. Technically, that's what it is. Right. But I Because I know maritime. pile of gear. I maritime have. law is, I wouldn't say it's flexible. It's quite flexible. Yeah. It's, again, it's not the same in that you could be in you know, deep sea, but the most qualified medical person on board is the ship's captain because he's done a, a medical course as mm-hmm. part of his officer training. Maybe the, I think the, the first officer has done it as well. Right. Um, but I, I've had conversations with skippers. Yeah. Uh, with like, captains. No, thank you. And um, the reason I'm saying is the ship, ship captain's medical guide mm-hmm. uh, is a book that – I know because I think it's it's a mar- certainly a UK maritime thing mm-hmm. that vessels are with with their standard medical equipment. They have certain textbooks that I think they have to have, and the yeah. ship captain's medical guide is one of them. And um, if you're having a conversation with somebody about a medical issue because they've mm-hmm. called you for advice, so mm-hmm. I've I've actually been called um, you know by a vessel that's looking for some medical assistance. We've been the closest, you know been a medic on board and I've got on the radio to talk to the captain and uh, the first thing I ask is have you got a copy of the ship captain's medical guide yes and they go oh yeah hang on I'll go and get it okay. so I've got my copy he's got his copy so you can reference and we could go through the same references but there's yeah. there's a, a couple of great sections in this particular text that go through abdominal emergencies uh-huh. 
and um, again male and female mm-hmm. uh, as and and chest mm-hmm. uh, and various signs and symptoms that we can actually work through to come up with a diagnosis yeah. um, for our patients so I guess if you haven't got direct recourse to top side so yeah. a physician in a hospital wherever, which we would always have you can maybe talk to another vessel yep you've got textbooks you could refer to we've got i don't know if you know tintinelli's er guide i don't can't say yeah. do but obviously now i need to get the isbn number for oh it. it's about this thick it weighs oh, well. about 15 pounds it, okay. it's it's an emergency room er docs when they go into their speciality they get this book and, like, you, and this, this is what you have it's on board yeah okay. wilderness medicine textbooks like yeah you so you keep you, you mentioned wilderness medicine a few times. Yep. So does does any part when you get some time off or when you eventually get home? Yeah. Uh, do you find yourself in land based wilderness places? Yeah. Doing what hiking or just for Canadian pleasure or camping? Okay. Backcountry. Yeah. Uh, but you're not. Are you taking any organized groups? No. Okay. I'm done with people by that point. But I think you. But I think you. I've done I'm kind of a hermit. You've had enough. Fair enough. But and you said you you do some local search and rescue I do, stuff. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. tell me more about that. Uh, it's a volunteer organization. Um, there are no paid search and rescue in North America except for like ski patrol people. Um, so we have a local group and we train regularly. And I teach the medicals and I'm responsible for all the gear. And if we get called out and there is a medical i always say to my my colleagues that you know we've got one subject and a hundred searchers in the woods who do you think we're going to be treating then i would get now i can't be there all the time it's it's volunteer Mm. but we sort of trade up there's a physician in our group there's a paramedic in our group and trade up who's on medical lead and it's a little bit loosey-goosey that way there's always someone who can do the work and i taught wilderness first aid to Every single person who's been on the team for a year or more. So we've got, I always am saying we need a culture of excellence. We've been talking and you said you're interested about going to Tanzania. I am. Why? Um, Because like I said, it's not um, my emergency skills are things that I work to keep up. They don't land in my lap the same way. Mm. Um, I would say I did more of that as a midwife Right. that, I mean, you're constantly, I'm not saying giving birth is a medical emergency, but I'm saying there, could be. it could be, I mean, anything could be, you know, walking Ex- home. Ectopic pregnancy. Oh you know, yeah. Ab- a, a acute abdomen yeah, you with, with our female, um, you know, 100%. Clients. Yeah. So that, that's partly why. And also I think it's really exciting sounding because it's, all different levels of, of individuals coming together to mm. give care. That's a really unique opportunity, really. So I say that's a unique opportunity because I usually work by myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're, you know, you're a lone healthcare practitioner. Yeah. So it's exciting for me mm. to be in, like, here, you're invited to come work in this clinic. Mm. That's that's great. I'm, I'm in. I'm Tanzania is most definitely uh, is, is a very good place i just need to win the lottery to get experience yeah i know you you told me earlier on yeah. you spent a lot of money to get to canada I from did. to uh to malta yeah but then again for me personally that demonstrates your willingness to want to learn oh i am and i and i, and I th- again i think for myself uh from my own perspective 
as remote healthcare practitioners, we should never stop learning. I agree. And I think you almost personify that by, with all the experience and everything you have, coming back to, to Malta mm. uh, and, and, and going back to the basics, making sure you're getting the basics right, again, kind of personifies that, that you know what, it's never too late to keep learning. Yep. We need to make sure we get the basics right. Um, and especially when you're in arguably such austere and remote locations, mm-hmm. um, it's really important to stay up to date. We, we never stop learning. Not for clever about it right i mean in any field i think who wants to stagnate no sometimes i know sometimes some people do if they're happy in you know the place that they're at and arguably certainly within my industry there you know there's one or two individuals that you know don't really do anything outside of their rotation to their to their work location i would find that hard actually yeah and i think you know like most of our listeners out there, being a medic or remote healthcare practitioner, mm-hmm. it's a lot more to them than just the paycheck. Oh, yeah, because there's all kinds of things you can do to make a bigger paycheck if that's your driving force. Right. I mean, I get it. You know, we've all got responsibilities. Yeah. Um, you know, the, you know, there's the mortgage or whatever. But then yeah. I think those things are also choices. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and we use that analogy uh, about living to work or working, working to, to live, yeah. you know, what do you, what do you want? If, if working facilitates you being able to do some amazing things and goes to some amazing places, yeah. the rewards can be, you know, second to none. You, you, you also mentioned about you, you know, your partner as well. And certainly again, for myself, they also facilitate oh. us. <laughs> And support us. I couldn't do it without having the support of your of your family, yeah. having the support of your colleagues as well, um, is also a really important aspect of this job or this life, should I say? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I can call it a, a job because I enjoy doing it so much. Yeah. If somebody's mad enough to pay me for doing what I really enjoy, don't tell I know. Me that. Don't give away don't the secrets. But you know, it's that it's that adventure, and I think maybe you know. Certain people or people like us, we're drawn to that. Yeah, 100%. Um, and we get to interact with people and we get to look after people. Mm. I'd like to think, you know, we make a difference. I, I like to think we do too. Jen, what I want to say is thank you very much for making yourself available. I know you've got studies in anatomy and physiology. I that yeah, yeah, no, you my got. anatomy and physiology is We fun. work <laughs> these guys quite hard when they come on the EMT course. It's, true. it's, it's pretty intense. It's true. Uh, tomorrow we have um, prolonged field care, austere emergency care uh, that we're going to be doing. I don't want to give too much away. Give, give, um, me, give me a little secret. <laughs> I, I, I'm, you're going to learn stuff tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm hoping that it transfers to your... Uh, remote healthcare setting. It will. Any last minute words, anything you can think of that could be relevant if anybody's interested in working on a tall ship? Oh gosh, if anybody's interested in working on a tall ship, do it. Yeah. Go for it. You don't Find know. your way. You don't know unless you try. You don't know unless you try. Guys, if any of you have any questions uh, about working on a sail training vessel, <laughs> Um, and remote healthcare, do not hesitate to give me a call or give me a shout on my email, t.cranton at edu.mt, or email the college. You've got access to our webpage as well. If you're interested in our remote EMT course, as uh, as Jen, Jen is, uh, again, you can contact us there. But apart from that, again, Jen, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, it's um, been fun. Today. Thanks, Tim. 
guys, thank you very much for your time. And I look forward to the next time that we will be talking to each other. Bye for now. This has been a presentation from the College of Remote and Offshore Medicine Foundation. If you would like to earn CPD credit for this podcast, you can join the Council of Members. Being a member of the college gives you free CPD credits, free access to the virtual field guide, and discounts on our e-learning courses. You can join the team on the college website, which is quorum, C-O-R-O-M, quorum.org.